Here we go. Right, we're up and running. All right, we're going. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, you know, uh, I will say that uh, I have uh, been involved in studying some things involving uh, the abomination of desolation and and uh, all of that stuff, and uh, which I think uh, you'll either. Uh, that's really, I think, exciting, and um, but at the same time, frightening especially for Christians, but anyway, um, you know, uh, I, I hope to be able to at some point, you know, and all this stuff we're really talking about kind of moving in that direction, you know, there, everything's related, uh, I guess is the best way for me to say that. So, you know, you know, up here I wrote on the board, you know, just as a starting point about, you know, Greek style, Versus Hebraic style, you know, um, you know when you talk about Greek style of teaching, um, well, you really are. are, are it's kind of composed of a a person or a instructor that you go and 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 listen to, and he is a in a sense of the word, he is a um, uh, you know schooled. Like you go to the seminary, and you know that, and that man's schooled, and so forth and so on, and uh, he's uh, the instructor, and you're there, and he's supposedly to teach you the understanding of what it is that you need to know, right? Is that right, Robert? Thank you. Thank you for backing me up on that, Robert. <laughs> However, th- this this style of literal interpretation is what this is based on. And it really dominated the faith for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, a literal interpretation of the Bible. And I know we've all had this discussion about, you know, well, if the Bible says it, I believe it, and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. But there's nobody running around here with their eyes plucked out, right? If your right hand causes you to sin or whatever, your eyes, you know, pluck pluck your eye out. Well, you know... From a Hebraic style, you know, um, really a Hebraic style of teaching more in a, a Jewish perspective is, is that if you had two rabbis that came together and discussed something, they would basically come away with ten different opinions that you may look at, you know, and they would discuss it, you know. And in this class, much like Lucille and our talking about whether or not the rapture occurs in, or doesn't occur or when it occurs, you know, that's an opinion and that's a discussion, you know, and they believe that there is a deeper level to the scriptures than just a literal interpretation. You know, that God's depth of the word is actually, you could say secret or hidden. I don't like the word secret because, you know, we go to that oh, secret interpretation, but, you know, um, the bottom line is, is that um, um, th- there is a, a, a hidden level or a hidden uh, perspective. Like, and, and I say that because we're looking at things, and then we say, um, well, this is kind of foreshadowing, you know, this future event that really what we're getting information on is already history is already taking place and we're gleaning from this history as if though God's really telling us what's going to happen in the future by these stories he gave us in the history. 
And that may not mean anything, but let me give you another example. Um, in Revelations, when it says that, and they fleed into the wilderness for 1260 days, you know, and we all say, what do we say when they, where are they going when they flee into the wilderness in book of Revelations? Where are they going? Where does it say they're going? Where do we say they're going? Boy, y'all are, <laughs> you're all big on Petra when Petra comes around. <laughs> Most people say Petra, right? They flee to Petra. Didn't you go to Petra when you went to Israel? Yeah, we didn't go to the wilderness. I didn't say anything about a wilderness. I didn't say anything about a wilderness, Jim. I said, where do they flee to? And they, and didn't you go to Petra? Yeah. Didn't they yeah. tell you that in, in the future that there's possibility that they're going to flee to Petra? And when you saw Petra, it's this carved out, in a sense, the canyon. yeah, beautiful, you know. And it's not saying that they don't go to Petra, right? But, you know, we, we kind of end up feeling like based upon that interpretation that maybe that's all, that's the only place they're going to be protected rather than possibly other places that you don't ever mention, right? Or you never hear about. And, um, for example, you know, Elijah. When Elijah fleed into the mountains, he went to uh, a place up in Sidon, which is northern Israel, and he was there for how long was he there, in a sense, uh, hiding out? 40 days. 1,260 days. Well, isn't that interesting? That's the same amount of time they're going to flee into the wilderness. So... Also, other instances when they came across and in the Exodus, they were in the wilderness for 40 days. I'm going to talk about Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days. So then, what's the wilderness? Well, I, I mean, you, in this sense, it may be the Petra, but in other sense, because the devil took, I mean, Jesus went into the wilderness and Satan came in and talked to him. Well, I think we're, uh, you know, looking at a bowl of spaghetti on all that because that's all mixed up, you know. Um, I think that we're talking about in the when they when they actually flee Jerusalem and they it, it, Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation, let the reader understand to flee Jerusalem and flee. We say into the wilderness, but they're fleeing out of Jerusalem. Get out of town. Yeah. And so in doing so, you know, um, uh, back to Elijah, um, what was the story of Elijah? He goes in and he has this woman that, just, you know, she's ready to about fold her tent, and she has, what, a, a, a quart of barley and a little bit of oil left, right? And what happens? Supernaturally, they're provided for, and they never run out, Right? And so is that story a picture or a hidden story that actually is going to tell you something about the latter days when they actually flee what we say into the wilderness? And I'm not, I, I, I think Jim is, is speaking of a, a, a different type of uh, mindset when they flee into uh, to the wilderness or come into the wilderness out of, out of Egypt. But, um, you know, my point is, is that, you know, you can read that story with Elijah 
But the reality is, is that there could be, that story may be there strictly to show you a connection to a point that is going to happen here in the future. Just like it says uh, many times in the Bible where it says in Daniel, it says, seal up the vision. For this shall not be until the latter days. So that that which is taking place there is definitely having an effect on what's going to happen in the end time. But yet it happened two thousand three hundred four you know years ago. You know. So my point is, is when you're reading these stories and you're looking at these stories, you know, they're not just history. They're actually parts of the puzzle that point out and maybe prophetically indicate things that are going to happen, especially when you get to this seven-year period. Because if the seven-year period is the climax of the whole present age, then you're talking about a major, major event in, in, the, in creation, basically. So you would think if... Um, uh, you know, let, let's let's say uh, this. Um, we read that uh, the 144,000 uh, they are, uh, and the two witnesses are, are. It says, you know, they obey the commandments, they're Torah observant, and they hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so uh, you know, and then Jesus in the in are the uh, letters, and Paul says, you know, for the volume of, of the book is written of me, right? So if the volume of the book is written of Messiah, which is Yeshua, and, and in the latter days this witness or this testimony is all about that, then it would tell you that all of these stories really, and that's what I really want you to really grab hold of, all of these stories from beginning to end are really just bits of the pieces of the puzzle that are telling you about what's going to happen. The difficulty is, and y'all's problem for being here, it's hard to get all these little pieces of the puzzle and get them in the right order to where you can go, oh, I see it now. What's so hard to me is the Jewish, the Hebrew language has so many different levels. I mean, you can read a word and it'll have 10 different meanings depending on, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's, that adds to the confusion. It does, but you know, at the same time, you know, you, you know, it's kind of like the more you work with something, the easier it gets. You know, um, uh, I, I'll give you another example. We, we've spoken a lot about uh, the, the phrase or term, the day of judgment, right? How do you, how many of y'all believe there's going to be a day of judgment? Anybody that doesn't believe there's going to be a day of judgment or your hands are just too hard to lift up? Okay. You don't believe in a day of judgment? <laughs> so, well, you're already being judged right now. But, uh, you know, but the reality, you may find it strange, but the day of judgment has no literal reference in the Old Testament. Not one. But if you get into the New Testament, you get several references to the day of judgment. And even Jesus and the day of judgment and Paul, you know, talking about the day of judgment, right? And so my question is, 
If it's not in the what we call the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, right? Then where did it come from? Where did the concept come from? Well, is it in it, but it's hidden. Well, yeah, but in the literal wording, it's not in there, okay? But they're like when we see in Daniel, thrones were set in place and the, and the court was seated. It doesn't say it was the day of judgment, but I can tell you that's, that's according to the rabbis, that's Rosh Hashanah. Because they understand that Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. And that the judgment is referred to maybe in Ezekiel where it says, and the Lord will have the sheep, you know, God will have the sheep pass under his rod and he will take note. He's judging them, but it doesn't say it's a day of judgment. Do you understand what I'm saying? But yet we get into the New Testament and Paul, and there's several reference to the term the day of judgment. So where did it come from? Where did, their, where did they get these terms from? They just all of a sudden say, well, it's a great time to use it. Now we're in the, <laughs> Jesus, huh? Got it from the Greek translation because the Septicate is the one that translated in the, the, from the Hebrew. It had to be you know, generated out of that. And like a lot of these trans- translations, if they didn't like what it sounded like, they made some changes. They added words in there. Yeah, but you would say that Paul and the you know we we have to ask ourselves: Does Paul and 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 Jesus's uh, words, you know, we say, well, I believe in the Word of God. So we have to believe that the Word of God, that even in the apostolic writings, what we call the New Testament and so forth and so on, when they're using these this phraseology, the Day of Judgment, you know, we're we're kind of like going ahead and we're saying we're we're a uh, codifying that book, those books, and now that's a part of the Word of God, right? Right? What'd you say? <laughs> well, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. So where did, where, did they, where did they come up with these terms, you know? And I'm telling you that you, you may not want to hear it, but it actually all came from oral Torah. The rabbis and their writings and all of the things that are outside of what we call the the, the, the Word of God in their discussions, these terms are out there. So Paul and even Jesus are actually going back into their oral Torah and bringing these words and these phrases out and giving them credence. In other words, you know, we say, well, the oral Torah is not the Word of God. But they're making it the Word of God by taking it and putting it into the, the, the book in a sense of the word. But they're drawing it from the collective knowledge and understanding of the rabbis and sages throughout all this time that are, are, are formulating, and, and I, I hate to use this word, but it's the only word you ever can say, is the eschatological viewpoint. Everybody knows what eschatology is. If you don't, just raise your hands. I'll define it. Eschatology only means the study of the last days. So when you look at the different writings, like the book of Enoch, it's an extra biblical writing, but it's all about eschatology, you know, the study of the last days. But yet it was written before Christ ever showed up, you know, and was born into the world. So, you know, I say all of this because you have to find a way to, if you're going to go literal, 
then, you know, good luck. <laughs> you know, you're only going to be able to handle something to a point of understanding. You're not going to find the deeper levels of understanding, which to me is why we are here to understand that which God has given. And, the, and you'll find the marvelous of the word is that which is hidden right in front of you when you are able to see and connect the dots and you see the picture then, then you'll go, wow, you know, you know, how could I always tell people and to think people say there's no God, there's no way you could divinely take all of this stuff from all of these different people and it doesn't contradict itself and it tells a story that's all connected from different people uh, and history and all of these things. It's really unbelievable. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's like, you know, how, how can this be? Yet that's the God we serve that sees all things and he's put it all together and he's working his plan. And even though we look at what's happening today in the United States and America, it's still somehow in his plan how this is happening, period. We may not like it, most of us don't, but somehow this is in his plan for what he's going to do. And it really, it all comes down to what he's going to (laughs) do. We just have to learn how to find the truth. We're looking for truth. Now, it's like the rapture. If it's truth, then it's truth. If it's not truth, then it's a false teaching, it's a false doctrine, it's a false whatever. But that's, that's what we're here to do, you know, and that's just one item. You know, you can take the Trinity. Is it truth or is it something that was uh, brought together by this Greek-style group of people to actually make you think in a certain way, you know. And then you have to find a way to make all the verses that contradict it, you know, work and vice versa. You know, that's just the way it is, you know. So, um, gee, that's a a lot of stuff. But uh, did you want to say something? No, I I don't want to get off subject at all, but before when you were talking, I think the thing that was amazing to me is when I learned that the Hebrew language is a concrete language. The English language, and I think it's in the Greek too, is what's called an abstract language. Mm-hmm. And the concrete language, that's what, you know, if and we can understand if they're right-handed, fanny, kind of, everything had to do with the senses. And in the, you like we would say, glory, well, what can you point to? What's glory? Right. And, and the example that was given to me that, that I never forgot it yeah. is the guy said, um, we might say to someone, oh, you have bad breath. Whereas in the Hebrew language, you would say, you are garlic. <clears throat> you see? And you can picture a garlic. Whereas bad breath, well, what is bad breath? <clears throat> well, it doesn't smell good. But you see, it's a picture form. In the beginning of the Hebrew language, yeah. everything was pictorial. That's right. It, it, it had a picture to it that it would communicate, right. like the Hebrew lettering. You know, the bait, you know, from the very beginning on Brashit, the first letter of the word Brashit, which is in the beginning in the English, you know, there's the bait, which is a, the, that stands for a house. So, you know, in the beginning... The house of God is being established. You know, it's telling a story. 
you know, in a sense of the word, you know, and, and, and so you go, oh, no, this is just a too much for me, you know, and I understand that. But this is, you, you're never going to leave it, you know. In other words, once you ever start uh, having things shown to you through the word, by the spirit, I believe, you know, then you really start to really dig into the treasures of what the word of God is about. And it's like, you know, real uh, uh, what I, I always say, you know, you, you find yourself in awe of what God has done. You cannot grab hold. I mean, we, we're trying to always take this so-called God and put him in a box to where we can hold it and handle it and name it. And this is what the, the Gentiles did in the world. They, they, this, this is all a part, even the abomination of desolation is a carved image they wanted something just like when they came out of Egypt. They made the calf, and they go, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt because they wanted something they could see, something they could, but you can't see God, you know, and it says no man has seen God. Only the son has, you know, made him known, you know, so forth. Lisa, just straightening your glasses? Okay. So anyway, um, you know, so when we, we look at certain events that we're going to look at tonight um, and, and turn over to uh, 1 Kings 8, you know, you're going to be told certain things that, uh, that happened at certain times, and those things to me are very important for what our discussion is in Rosh Hashanah. Now, last week, we spent a great deal of time somewhat on the idea of enthronement. And most of us go, yeah, that's great. You know, he's anointed. He's, uh, you know, he's going to have the investments. You know, he, we're going to uh, uh, put him on the throne. We're going to have the uh, pay it, the homage to him. But we don't really identify much with any of that. You know, I'm sure those guys up in Washington with all that inauguration, you know, in some respect, that's such a, um, that was all for them. <laughs> You know, and the so-called ruling class, you know, they're all into it. They'll go to the ball and, you know, and everything that goes with it while we're all sitting back here thinking about, we're paying for this, you know. And so when when you look at the enthronement, you know, you, you have to understand that that this is an important event. And the question is, is that when do, when is Jesus enthroned? You know, is he enthroned prior to, you know, after he's walking on earth or when he was resurrected? Or is there a day and time that was foretold in the future that he would actually begin to reign and rule over the earth? And I think it's the latter. That his enthronement comes at the end of the age and what the, the tribulation, and this is where we different from Christian uh, teaching. We see the what we call the tribulation being the beginning point of the seventh day, not the end of the sixth day. Everybody understand that? Christian teaching is that tribulation ends the sixth day and you go into the millennial kingdom, which is the seventh day. That's Christian doctrinal teaching, period. 
Y'all, y'all don't study that, huh? Good. Okay. You know, but Jewish doctrinal teaching or, or what they believe in eschatology is that the tribulation or Jacob's trouble begins the seventh day. Right, Charles? I don't know. Come on. <laughs> Do I... It, it, so Jacob's I, trouble is the same as tribulation. Right. In terms of, okay. Right. All these different names, the time of trouble, the time of my wrath, the, you know, the wrath of God, the... Uh, uh, to time of indignation, you know, all of these phraseology really are all talking about what Christians call the seven-year tribulation. You know, Jews call it Jacob's trouble. That's their terminology for it, you know. It's a time, and they even go as far, they don't even say it anymore, they go, the time of trouble. And you're going to see that all through the Old Testament. But what I'm I'm trying to get you to realize is that you know, in Christianity, they see the seven-year period being here, and this is the what we would call, if you want to believe that there is a 6,000-year plan of God, they see that seven-year period at the end of the age here rather than where Jews see the seven-year period starting right here and then going forward for the remaining part of the seventh day. And that's very important. You know, because on one hand, you got to see that the seventh month begins with what? Rosh Hashanah. What, what is that? The, the head of the year. It's a new year or a new beginning. And really, the seventh day that we're looking at what we would call the day of the Lord, you know, is a new beginning. That's why when you look over there in Isaiah, and it talks about, and I looked and there was a new heaven and a new earth, and then you go into the wording of it, and it's other heaven children still, and well, that can't be the Olam Haba, because they're still having children and people are still dying, and we know that when we get to the world to come, or the, what we call the new Jerusalem, the, there is no more death. So if they're having death in that period where it said in a new heaven and a new earth, then you've got to say, well, wait a second. That don't make sense with my theories of mine because they're having, they're still having children and, ha- and, and there are people still dying. So how does that jive with the words and I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Because we take the literal and we immediately say, well, that's the, that's the new Jerusalem. Right? When I say a new heaven and a new earth, what are you thinking about? New government on this. And Lord is going to reign and govern on this earth and bring justice and righteousness with his saints, with his righteous saints. So is there going to, uh, when we look over there in, uh, in Revelation uh, 21 and it says, and, and I looked and there was, uh, how does it say it? I don't want to say it wrong. Okay, verse 12, it says, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. Right? Okay. But of course, if we're going back in chronological order and we're backing up, 
You know, this seems to come after uh, chapter 20, which talks about in verse 2, where he sees the dragon and the ancient serpent and the devil of the Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And then it goes on to say, after that thousand years, in verse 7 are over, then Satan will be released and we'll have this great white throne judgment. And then we go into chapter 21, and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And now I'm asking you, what is the new heaven and the new earth right there? Well, yeah, but when we don't we equate that new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth? Not necessarily. No. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> well, it says, you know, when it says the new Jerusalem, all right, it also makes a statement that nothing that is unrighteous will enter the new Jerusalem and the kings of the earth will come and pay tribute. So that tells me that we have a new Jerusalem. And we have a new capital, and we have the reigning of, of the Messiah. Uh, however, the earth is going to be populated, and we're going to have the second resurrection, which will take place at the end of the, the millennium, uh, millennium kingdom. Okay, well, you just, you just threw... All right, here's your thousand years. Yep. Okay, let's just... That's with that, okay? <laughs> there's your thousand years. All right, so when we get to the point at the end of that thousand years, right there, yep. and we say, which is what that verse is referring to, a new heaven and a new earth, for the old had passed away, and then we get into this concept of saying, and, 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 and this is a, a descriptive concept of the new Jerusalem descending down out of heaven and you get the finishing of the story you know about what's happening now when you talk about this time here if you back up because that was in chapter 21 when when you back up you're going to see in verse and and, and chapter 20 and we're going to say chapter 20 is right here chapter 20 and you you see death and, and, and hell, we'll say, are thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? Everybody understand that? Everybody with that? Right? Do I need to just point it out on the, on the pages where you see that, you know, because we're really talking about a timeline. And so, you know, as I said, you go here in chapter 20 and verse 14 at the, what we call the uh, great white throne judgment then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death okay and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire which would mean Anybody thrown into the lake of fire has received the second death. At least it does in my mind. <laughs> you know, so, so, so if that occurs, and then the very next thing that we read after that is chapter 21, and he says he saw a new heaven and a new earth 
for the earth is, is passed away. And he goes on to say, uh, verse uh, in chapter 21, uh, verse, um, we'll say verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he, will, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And that's an NIV version. The old order of things has passed away. And so you, when we talk about the new heaven and the new earth, here at this point, then we're, we're only there is no more sin what are, what's the wages of sin yeah. so there is no more sin if there's no more death because the death itself is judged and thrown into the lake of fire along with anybody else that's not a believer in God they're thrown into the lake of fire so when you go forward and what we call from a Jewish perspective the Olam Habah you know, which only means the world to come, then, you know, it's a whole new world. This is actually where we're going to, whether we know it or not. This is what he's preparing for us. And that's our destination. Do you know why he wanted that? Well, he wanted some fellowship. (laughs) Fellowship. I don't know. Tell us, Jim. Uh, What am I reading? God wanted to create his own family on earth. That was from the beginning. But we had the difficulty with Adam and the, ba- and the Baal and all that. So ultimately, this is where he's going. He's going to build a family on earth just like he's got in heaven. That's what his whole intent. Right. Which I thought was pretty practical in, in knowing where we're going. Right. And I'm one that believes when we get to here, there is no separation. You know, his family is, are, is his servants, whether they be angels or they be human beings, but this is part of the goal of God is to bring heaven and earth and the will be done on in heaven and earth. I mean, other than that, you know, or, and I guess, and we don't know the answer to some of these things, but if we are a, a in a new body, in a new heaven, in a new earth, one thing we know that if we're going to be like Jesus, according to the Bible, he could walk through this wall and from that room into here, and that tells me that element-wise and the laws of science as we know it do not apply from what we had here that, that, than here. Does that mean that we don't eat? No. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't. We could very well, and I think we will, eat <laughs> and drink and be married. But, Jesus uh, did. What? Jesus did. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, once again, everything that we're seeing, we should be thinking about what it's telling us. You know, but if we're not careful, we take... Oh, he's Jesus, and he's God, and therefore we're not that, so we can't be a... I don't think that's what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to show us what we're going to be like. 
We're going to be like him. Wherever he is, so shall we be also. Now, this is a, you know, not really part of the discussion, but it always is, is that, you know, when the Father dwells with man again, right, is he dwelling with man again, or has he always been dwelling with man? God's always dwelling with man. <laughs> he might not like what he does sometimes. See, this is how you get a, a debate going. You don't know, he's not dwelling with us right now. You know? <laughs> gave the earth to Adam to take care of it and mind it and Adam blew it. Poor old Adam. But, (laughs) you know, but there again, we read the words and we go, well, he's walking. He must have two legs. He's seen. He he, must have two eyes. And before long, he's a man. Is he walking with you? Is God walking with you? No, I'm walking with him. Oh, okay. You know, that's a better deal. Hey, it's his his divine presence that is actually with me, you know, and with you. You know, it's the Shekinah, it's the divine presence. But do we have the power that the disciples have? Not yet. (laughs) Are they available to us today? See how the debate, you know, well, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm not in that group today. I'm in this oh, group. Before long we're all polka dots, you know, just like you're sure. I, I think that we have the power for purpose. I think God raises it up for purpose, and we have power for purpose. And uh, that is we're given what we need, not so, what we want. Because so, the same so, thing when we pray, we pray for God's wisdom to give us what we need, not what we want. Because if he's praying for a new boat. You know, you might get a new boat, but it might be that long, you know? Yeah. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> but, but, you know, when we look at the disciples, he told them he re- they received the Holy Spirit in the upper room, and that's what it says. But he then tells them to wait till they receive power from above, and they get into uh, the 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, and we said, and they received the Holy Spirit. Well then, what if they? What did they receive back here in the upper room then? He breathed on them. In fact, he even tells them they have the power to forgive sins at that point in time. Well, I thought God was the only one able to forgive sins. See, we've got all of this stuff that we've been trained to believe and think and never question. It's kind of like what you see in the democratic field. As long as you agree with us. You're okay, but if you disagree with us, we're going to set you out and we're going to section you out. We're going to shut you down and you're not going to be able to do anything and we'll just put you outside of the church eventually. And that can happen. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, though, so, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, these are difficult things to really understand, but really that's what we're here for. You know, to try to understand what, who is God. You know, when we if Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's trying to say that this is the way that God wants us to be righteous with our decisions, with our actions, with our tongue. You know, everything that, you know, we can have in this so-called present world because once we get here, 
all of that which was causing all of this problem is actually going to be out of the picture from then on. And it's going to be what the NIV says, and the old order has passed away, and you know the new order has come. But see, we're if, if you look at back at, at, at the development of Christianity even, and, and you look at it and you get to this point of the cross here and we say, you know, this is, a, well, we just put in, well, can't do that. I'll put 4,000. 4, that's the year 4,000. That's year one. This is the time of Christ when he came. And we somehow take this so-called, say, really about 135 years when everything in the so-called faith was more Judaical. It was all Jewish. They were Gentiles were just coming into the faith at this point in time. These people, you know, Paul goes, you know, when they had said it, they'd heard he was preaching against the Torah out in the, you know, diaspora, which is the, you know, Gentile world, you know, um, they, he comes back to Jerusalem and, and Peter says, look at the myriads of Jews that believe and are zealous for the Torah. Well, I, I thought that was old news and we're not supposed to be a we're not supposed to be doing any of that, you know? Because, see, that's what's happened here. When you get down to this day and age, by the time everything becomes Romanized, you know, we're now entering into a period where the Gentiles, who have no foundation whatsoever in all of this stuff, but they're going to become the dominant force controlling what we call Christianity and actually <laughs> you know we'll say the Roman Catholic Church it, take a, it took a long time to get to Luther and get a Protestant group right <clears throat> which is what we are we're an offshoot of his part of his program, right? But but you have to see that in the beginning, in this little period in here, it wasn't like that at all. Period. But it, it they became the dominant force, as we call the uh, orthodox view. They ruled the roost, and basically, if you didn't want to believe like them, you had a couple choices. Get on a horse and ride out of town fast, or we'll kill you. Because you're not going to destroy, because we believe that we have the power of God on our side, and therefore, if you don't believe like us, you're going to be, you know, you're, a, you're against us. So what did they do? Well, they started killing these people. They said, we're not going to have anything Jewish. And they began to, you know, cut out anything Jewish to a point that when you get up here in about this time, it's all being done away. You can't, you know, we don't do the Sabbath. We don't do the festivals. You know, we don't believe that we're supposed to worry about being Torah observant. You know, that's all, you know, all of a sudden, all of this message is becoming, uh, you know, what I call Romanized. And they're all Christ killers. And, and a lot of them, them. A lot the of them were, were Christ killers. Yeah, the Jews were 
Christ killed, as if yeah. we ostracized in society, set aside, killed. But the we still have the infection from the Roman Catholic Church and all the Protestant denominations. Sure. And the interesting thing, when these things started, and they started making decisions and what was going to be what within the within the scriptures, we have the same thing today. We have people who are in the scriptures today who are believing what is put in there, which has been modified by early on in early church. And today you see things changing in the denominations. It won't be long before the, the homosexual pastors will be acceptable and that will become part of our book. They find, somehow will find a way to put it in there. So well, I don't want to be, be a part of the book because it's a closed well, book, they'll, they'll but, find, it, but, but it'll be a part of the, the organizations, you know, will, yeah. will, you know, will you use that and say we'll all be loving one another. I mean, don't you, don't you want Billy Bob, who likes, uh, you know, Jimmy, to be saved? Don't you love him? Okay. You don't want... <laughs> so... So, so you know, the I always say my buddy up in Montgomery that goes to Church of Christ Church had been in Church of Christ. There they they moved around and they were looking for a new Church of Christ. They went to a, uh, one church, and you know, and, and they really didn't like it. You know, it just wasn't their cup of tea, whatever. So they went to another one in Wetumpka, you know, where they they live up on Lake Martin. And, and, and the bottom line is, is that uh, this church, basically, they thought, well, you know, this is maybe one, it's a bigger one. But they went in there and they met with the elders. And the elders, it's, both of them had been divorced <coughs> in the past. He told them point blank, you cannot join the church. You can attend, but you cannot be a member because you violated God's law by getting divorced. Now, I say that, you know, sin is sin. And obviously that was a sin. We're not, we're called to walk a righteous path. But, you know, divorce happens. And the question is, is that, you know, can you move past divorce? Can you move past pedophilia? I don't know, better be careful with that one. Can you move past with these sins that are in our lives? You know, and be able to, you know, be forgiven and still be a part of God's church. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But you're still what I think you're saying, and you said, we're not to actually condone the sin. That's right. You know, but we should be merciful to allow anybody that's willing to repent and turn away from uh, their sin to come back into the Faith. And I think that's what Second uh, Corinthians five tells you about the brother that was having an affair with his uh, father's wife, and they said put him outside the congregation where the uh, devil can have it his flesh, so that his soul may be saved on the day of the Lord. When? <laughs> on the day of the Lord, because the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. <coughs> you know that's what he. You now that's the important part is when you stand before Jesus and be judged. You know, everything that you've done, and you know, you're going to be, you're going to be judged for both good and bad. Do you know that? For your deeds. According to the Bible. <laughs> so, and, and that's believers. So, you know, 
when we do that, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're calling Jesus our Lord and Master, and we believe he's the only one that can forgive us from our sins. He's our intercessor. And in that, we can say he's the final sacrifice for sin. Now, when we say the word final sacrifice, Christians say, why would there ever be any sacrifices anymore in this so-called millennial temple? <clears throat> How can there be sacrifices? Jesus was the final sacrifice. Right, Robert? Right. So how are we going to have sacrifices in a millennial temple with sheep and goats and bulls? You know that can't do anything to take away sin, right? So, so why are we going to have that then? And some people say, well, we're not. That's all spiritualized. They don't want to take it literal then, Right? But if we take Jesus to say he's the final sacrifice and we take it literal, then that means that there's not going to be any more sacrifices, right? But yet, when we read about the abomination of desolation and the false Messiah, he enters into the holy place, and what's he do? He stops the daily sacrifice. <clears throat> Jim, you gotta quit doing it. You're giving me those looks. But isn't that not what it says? is going into the temple and he's gonna shut down sacrifice. That's right. How could that, where do you get that information? Right out of the Bible, Jim. Show me. Huh? Show me, quote it, let's go. From Missouri. No. Uh, okay. Is Missouri known as a mule? <laughs> I think that's an emblem. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah, I understand. No, I don't. I don't mind showing you. I just gotta. Uh, I wanted to see whether it's in in this particular spot or whether it's going to be uh, in another spot. Well, if you've got something, read it there. Second Thessalonians. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come until the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you, you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restraints him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. Which, uh, which chapter is that? One too. Well, I, 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 I'm not hearing the key word, though. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there, I think that's what he was talking about. There is, but I don't know where the other one is. No key word in there? Well, that he sits, opposes, exalts himself above every so-called God or object of work, worship. So that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being Just God. Two. Does that fit in? I don't hear the key word. <laughs> Abomination and desolation. Is that what you're looking for? No, not that one. The daily sacrifices. Oh, stop. the daily sacrifices. So what are we looking for? <laughs> when the daily sacrifices stop. Yeah. Taken, up, taken yeah, away. They no longer 
So, so, see, you got to know this stuff. If you're going to know it, you got to know it. Yes, sir. But does in Satan's, he sits on the, he sits on the, in the temple during the, at the three and a half year period, right? Close. Or somewhere in, in uh, but I'm not really familiar with the millennium time that he's here, but at the three and a half year period he's here, he sits on it. Okay. All right. So you have to, you have to, first of all, either accept or either consider that this so-called period of time begins on Tishrei 10. What is important? What festival is Tishrei 10? The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. Okay? So if that's the case, there should be a lot of information in dealing with that period and and, and and how long is the how long is the seven year period and not calling it years because we say it's seven years three and a half years 42 months right 1260 days and it's in two periods, so you'd have the same point right here, 1260 days. And and that, uh, that's, that's Steve. <laughs> he may, is Steve here? I have no idea. He may be downstairs trying to get in. Well, well I, I, I was in the middle of something. Call, call, Steve. call Steve. Yeah, see if you can get him to answer his phone. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. And so, if it's seven years, right? <coughs> All right. And, and, and it's broken into two periods of 1260 and 1260. Three and a half years, three and a half years, and that makes up the seven years. Now, you know, some people would say, well, wait a second. We're on a 365-day, you know, calendar. So how's all that working, right? Well, they believe prior to, even in the lunar, that in for the time of, of Noah, before that time in Noah, that there was an actual 360-day year. And that when we hit this period of time, there's going to be a movement of the astrological signs and earthquake and things in the heaven that's going to shift the timing back to 360 days. It's actually physically going to happen. And that's how they come up because these days are specified to you in the Bible. Is there anybody that doubts that? No doubters on that? So, if this is Tishrei 10, right? Because if it starts on a, if it starts on a day of atonement, and it's seven years long, it ends on a day of atonement. Right? Okay. So if it's three and a half years is the midway point, what's this date? Nisan. Nisan 10. Correct? So on Nisan 10, that's the halfway point. And I'm proposing to you that 
The abomination of desolation is going to be set up on a dark tin. You probably never heard that before, right? And you should ask, well, how'd you get that? How'd you get that? <laughs> how'd you get that? How did you get that? So, if you go, if you go over, that's, that's the extra month. No, that's the last. If you go over to uh, chapter twelve of Daniel's, okay, and we're just going to read since it's not really a long book, and I'm getting on. Uh, chapter, I mean. At that time, verse 1, Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who led many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up the, and, and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Well, that's a clue. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for the times and times and half a time. How do we translate that? Three and a half. Three and a half, right? It will be four times and times and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken all has fi- been finally broken all these things will be completed. I heard but I did not understand so I asked my lord what will the outcome of all this be and he replied go your way Daniel because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Now we're getting a clue that we're talking about the time of the end being the tribulation because he spelled it out uh, what I call uh, for dummies when you say, you know, 12, 60, 42 months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, <clears throat> Jim, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. Yeah, I know it. I'm, I'm looking at it. Blessed is the one. Uh, uh, set up. There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end and, and you will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And hang on one second.